We'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 38. We're continuing, of course, our study in the life. In fact, if we look at it, it's the life of Joseph. But this evening, as we look at this passage, there's really a break in this action. Because 37 deals with Joseph and 39 deals with Joseph, but 38 deals with something else. In fact, the focus is on Judah in this chapter. And this, the events in this chapter show us the depravity of men. And there's the interaction between Judah and Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And then to understand the passage and how it all fits together, you actually have to understand the Jewish culture and the marriage and what they call the leveret law of marriage. And I'll explain that to you as we get into it. Most of, you know, we've talked about it before. But as we see this passage, two things I think stand out. One is, boom, the depravity of man and the sovereignty of God. We see this over and over. God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. He's working all things together for good, even things that don't even look good. But we see depravity. Where's our hope? We see God's working all things. And we see our, we'll see ourselves in this passage. We'll also see something that I'll, we'll just talk about it as we go through on why in the world would this chapter be in there? You know, why does He put this one there? Why does He tell us this stuff? And we'll see it because it's going to show us the reason why God took His people put Joseph down in Egypt, and then brought his people down into Egypt. And we'll see all that. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for each one who is here, and just the fun that we have as we come together. Thanks for the great songs. Thank you for the privilege of just being with fellow believers. Lord, once again, thank you for Jesus and eternal life. We thank you for the Bible, especially the Old Testament. We know that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instructions so that we can know what to make application in our lives. Lord, just help us as we go through this passage. We know that the events in the passage are really bad and but lord you have it in your word where to learn from it where to know it where to make application so thank you lord for the truth we ask we ask you now that you would teach us we ask all of this in jesus name amen you know sometimes when you study the bible we find that we don't get all the information we don't necessarily get the answers sometimes we say well what's this going to be like and sometimes we'll say well the best we can tell, the Scripture doesn't really tell us what it's going to be like. Or we'll find that the Bible doesn't give us information. Think about this. Think about the eternal state. Well, we know a little bit about it. We know that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we're going to serve Him. And what will that service be? What will it be like for all eternity? And what will we be like? I mean, will we all be the same age? I mean, think about it. I mean, all of us in this room are different ages right now. We go into eternity. Are we going to be these ages? Uh, what if someone is eight years old when they die? Or what if they die when they're a baby? Or what if they're 99 when they die? In the eternal state, are they going to be 99? Are they going to be one? What People go, I, there's no way to know. Some have said that they're all going to be 33, the age that Jesus died. That, 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 and they'd say that's the age. Who knows? So we don't have information. What about this? When it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when we're absent from this body, and this body goes into the ground, what? kind of body do we have while we're waiting for our resurrection body never tells us i don't have any idea we could say well uh, maybe we'll be sort of like a body but not a body who knows the bible doesn't tell us well this evening we 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 turn in this passage and we find that one of the sons of judah did evil in fact it says but er judah's firstborn was evil in the sight of the lord so the lord took his life what did he do? It doesn't tell us. Now, every one of us in this room would say, I'd like to know what that is so I don't do it, right? <laughs> right? Whatever it was, I don't want to do it because he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But it doesn't tell us what he did. And sometimes we don't have all of the information. Now, we have all the information that we need. 
We have all the information called the gospel, the good news message, how Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. We have all that information. We have what we need for the Christian life. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing and applying God's word. We got all that. So sometimes there's things that we have that we don't have in the scripture that we just don't know, and apparently there's going to be, if we need to know them, he'll tell us sometime. This evening, a hard passage, a strange passage. We see the depravity of man. We see the interaction of the offspring of Jacob. One, uh, the background, a little bit on the background of the tribe of Judah. And as I said, just a little break in the action. Let me remind you that Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob, has been taken by his brothers and sold into Egypt. We like Joseph. Uh, we'd probably like him. If we were there, if we were one of his brothers, we might not like him because we'd be a little jealous of him probably because his brother gets everything. Daddy likes him the best. And he gave him the good coat, and he tells us that we're all going to bow down before him, and we don't like all that. We just, we don't. And so, the brothers didn't like him, and when the opportunity came, they sold him into slavery to some Ishmaelites going to Egypt. And we look at this and we say, wow, isn't that a terrible thing? But we realize all this is God's plan. God's working all things according to the counsel of his will. He's going to put Joseph in Egypt so that ultimately... He is going to save the nation of Israel through this event. And you say, save the nation from what? From two things. One, from the famine that's about to come. But number two, what would have happened to Israel if they had not gone to Egypt? You say, well, I don't know. Well, 38, see what Judah was doing. See what would have happened if the rest of the brothers would have done the same thing. What if Israel lived out the rest of their time in that Canaanite land and they all did the same thing as Judah? Wouldn't be any Israel. I believe that God put Joseph in Egypt and took them out of Israel into Egypt to save the nation. And we'll see how that ties together. There's a lot into it. And that's why I think 38 is in there. You could say, well, 37 should go right into 39. You don't even need to after 38 because it doesn't deal with anything. It, it gives us what happens to them while they're in the land. So at the end of chapter 37, we see, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him, Joseph, into Egypt, in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So that's that's basically what what happened to Joseph. And so the next time we, well, we, it's going to take us two lessons to actually get through this chapter. But when we come back to Joseph, we'll see what happens to him in Egypt. And we, we get a break here. And what do we see? We see what happened in the land of Canaan. And I think what we see happening in the land of Canaan is the reason that God says, I can't leave my people in this land. Let me ask you a question. When the nation of Israel comes back, they come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, they get ready to go into what we call the promised land. Who's living in the promised land? The Canaanites. Good people or bad people? Bad people. Why is God removing the Canaanites from the land? Because of the iniquity. In fact, it's time. He didn't remove them any time earlier until it's now. The iniquity of the Amorites is full, and he's going to use the Jewish people to come take the land and move them out. What would have happened to the Jewish people if they'd have never left that land? They may be just like the Canaanites. Who knows? So we don't know. The second thing is we're going to get some background on the tribe of Judah, and, and we're going to see what they're like. This is the tribe, which may surprise us, this is the tribe through which the Messiah comes. Judah. Well, as we study this passage, we, we need to understand the culture. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, we see Judah marries. 
And we see his sons, that's verses 1 through 5. And then we see Judah's relationship to Tamar. We see what happens there. That's his daughter-in-law. We see the promises he makes to her. But he doesn't fulfill the promises. So we see Tamar has some plans. She wants to get things right. That's what we think. And then if you look at it, we see Judah's self-righteousness. We won't get that tonight. But uh, uh, we'll talk about it in a second. And then we see the birth of twins. There are twins born in this passage. I'm always partial to twins. Anyway, but uh, we'll see that. But let me tell you something. We read the passages a while ago, right? And what does Judah do? He goes down and has sex with what he thinks is a prostitute. We're going to find out a little bit later when Tamar is pregnant and it's found out that she's pregnant. You know what Judah says to do to her? Let's burn her up. Oh, you're such a sweet man, aren't you? Yeah, you're so pure yourself. We'll see it as we go through the passage. There's some powerful things. It's kind of a lot of interaction. Let's begin. The focus is on Judah. Look at verse 1. It came about at that time. What time? The time that Joseph has now been placed in Egypt. You know, Joseph's in Egypt for a long time. About 20 years before all this comes to Before everybody else comes down, Joseph's in Egypt. It came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. What do you mean Judah departed from his brothers? And visited a certain Abdulamite whose name was Hira. He departed from his brothers means he he decided he's not going to live with his Jewish family. He's going to start he's going to start fooling around with who? Canaanites. Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, Judah, 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 Judah. You're not supposed to hang around with the Canaanites, right? Because you're supposed to be separate from them, aren't we? Aren't the Jewish people supposed to be separate? Isn't that the plan? Judah leaves his brothers. Maybe he feels guilty because he's the one that came up with the plan to put Joseph into slavery. Maybe that's what he feels. He visits Hiram, who's a Canaanite. He moves out of the Canaanite culture. What kind of effect will it have on him? Well, notice. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went into her. Now, he saw the, the daughter of Shua and he took her. He marries a Canaanite woman, right or wrong? Wrong. He's gotten into the Canaanite culture and he's already doing something wrong. They're not to intermarry with the pagan culture. The pagan culture worshipped what? False gods, idolatry. And see, you're not supposed to do that. We could say, Judah, don't do that. Judah said, well, I'm doing it. Now, you realize that the children born here are going to be the ones who carry on the tribe of Judah who are going to be where the Messiah comes. Well, he has three sons. Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Let's look what it says. So she conceived and bore him a son and named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at uh, Shezib that she bore him. So they've got three sons. Now this is about 10 or 15 miles from Hebron. He's moved a short distance from his family. And he's now interacted with the Canaanites. He's married a Canaanite woman and now he's got children. Now we're going to find that time passes. And, and it's going to be a... a good length of time because remember this is basically about the 20 year time period that Joseph is down in Egypt before they ever come so far Judah has done wrong he's intermarried with the Canaanites now look at verse 6 now Judah took a wife for Ur his firstborn and her name was Tamar so now his kids are grown up they're old enough to be married how old was a Jewish man sometimes when he got married about what age you might know could be as young as 15, 16, most likely 18. Women sometimes were anywhere between 12, 13, 14, 15. That's basically what they did. And so he says, okay, Ur, I'm going to find a woman for you. So, so Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. 
Uh, she's a Canaanite. This is the beginning. We're going we're to see this. This is one of the four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This woman right here. Now, the next verse I said, takes your breath. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. What did he do? And tell us, we don't have a clue what he did. Whatever, it do, whatever he did, it was considered evil. Now, there is what we call a sin unto death. You can do things, listen, as a believer, even as an unbeliever, but as a believer, you can do things wrong long enough that God will take you home. That's pretty scary, isn't it? That you get off into sin and you continue in sin and you keep on sinning and then sometimes you sin unto death. Uh, in the flood, the wickedness of the whole world that was, was bad enough that God said, I will, I will remove all people from the earth. And of course, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. They lied about the money they had given to the church. And they died. In 1 Corinthians 11, there were believers in the church at Corinth taking the Lord's Supper drunk. And they continued to do it over and over. They continued to treat the Lord's Supper as it was nothing. And it said, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you sleep, which means they died. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow of the flesh, you reap corruption. Don't tell him what could happen. One of the things we should do is that when we sin, we should confess our sin, we should deal with our sin, and we should turn away from our sin. Confess and forsake. You live in a state of sin. There's no telling what can happen. Because especially as Christians, because we've got a heavenly Father who loves us. Well, verse 7. Ur, Judas firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Wow, that's a, hard, that's a terrible passage. It's such a hard verse. Man. Then Judas said to Onan, Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Now, for us to, to really understand what's going on, uh, there was a thing called the Leveret Law of Marriage. I think that this, Deuteronomy 25, Leveret Law of Marriage. Here's what we, we've talked about this before. Here's the oldest son. He gets married. Has a wife, of course. Has no children. If he were to die, the next son down, if he wasn't already married, he had a responsibility called the Leverett Law of Marriage that he was to marry his brother's wife. He's dead. And he was to marry his brother's wife. They were to have kids. The first child they had was to be named after the brother. So to keep the name going, to keep the lineage going, that was the plan. So if you were the second in line and your brother got married... You knew something. You knew that if something happened to your brother before you were married, it would be your responsibility to marry your brother's wife and have children through her. It's called the Leverett Law of Marriage. And we talked about this on a Sunday morning. Either, either when you, when you saw your brother getting ready to get married, you either were very, very happy or maybe very, very sad, you know, and, 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 and like we said one Sunday, he said either you don't want, you want your brother to live forever or you want your brother to die right now. Die, I'll take her, you know, he never know. But so here's what he says to him. He says, your brother has died. It is your responsibility. He said, go into your brother's wife, perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her, leverant law of marriage, and raise up offspring for your brother. That's what he's supposed to do. And that's the plan. But Onan, now watch what kind of person he is. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. Of course that they're not really his. That's the plan. 
So when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. It says, when, I just want you to put this next slide. When should read whenever. It was ongoing. This was not one time that he had sexual relations with her and he wasted his seed on the ground. Every time they had sexual relations, he made sure she couldn't, she wouldn't get pregnant. Cause he said, I don't want to raise up some child that's really not mine, so to speak. That was the privilege of the Leverett Law of Marriage. That was helping your brother who died. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, look what happened. But he did what he did, verse 10, what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. Guess what? So he took his life also. They're over for 2, right? Man, I mean, you look at that passage and you go, boy, oh boy, oh boy. By the way, sin is always displeasing to our great God and Savior. Sin is missing the mark. It's falling short of God's glory. It's rebellion. And, you know, there's, there's at least five or six different Greek words for sin. One of them just means to miss the mark. One of the more famous ones means to step over the line. It means to transgress, to do wrong. It's in rebellion. There's one of the Greek words, sin equals lawlessness. It's always displeasing to God. The truth is, mankind, you know, somebody said, boy, these are bad guys. The truth is, all people are what? Bad. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We come into the world dead in trespasses and sins. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. Well, what we find is that uh, Judah has lost two sons, both married to Tamar. Now, what do you think Judah thinks about his third son, Sheila? I don't know if she, I don't want, I don't want Sheila to marry who? Tamar, because things aren't going so good on whoever marries her. Now, is it her fault? What did the first verse say? It said, her, her did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord, and so God took him. And then it says, Onan, Onan did what was displeasing the Lord, and he took him. It has nothing to do with Tamar, right? But notice what happened here. When Judah, this is verse 11, when Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, because that's exactly what he's supposed to do. The third son down, if he's not married, and he was obviously younger at this point, not even ready to get married, and so he says, you go back and live with your father, and, and, and then we'll let this son grow up, and when he grows up, then he can marry you. That's the Leverett Law of Marriage. You remember when the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were making this joke and they were fooling him and they said, Hey Jesus, we got a, we got a question for you. There was this man that married this woman. He had seven brothers. There was a man that married the woman and he died without a child. And so the next brother came and the next brother came. They all married her. None of them had children. Who's going to be the husband in the resurrection? And they were making fun because see, they didn't believe in resurrection. And that's why Jesus said, you don't know the Bible and you don't know the power of God. But see, that's what technically would happen. Now, what are the chances? That's, you know, seven brothers would marry and all this kind of stuff. So that, that's why it was such a ridiculous thing. But right here, we're down to number three, right? So he tells her, why don't you go back in, in your father's house until Sheila grows up? For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now he said, you, uh, why don't you do me a favor? Because Sheila's too young right now to marry you. So why don't you go live at home until Sheila grows up, and when he grows up, you'll get to be married to him. That's what's supposed to happen. This actually looks good, but you know what we find out? He has no intention of giving this son to her. 
Why? I think, number one, I think he's afraid he would die. But you know what? Whose fault are these deaths so far? Those two boys. It's their, their fault. It's not, it's not Tamar's. Second is, is he gonna violate the scripture? Yes, he will. He's already violated the scripture. Let me tell you, when you start violating the scripture, it's not hard to keep violating it. Right? What has he already done wrong? He's married a Canaanite. He's had these sons. They're not following the, I mean, so, you know, and, and let me tell you, what do you think? What kind of sons has he got that both of them the Lord, the Lord put to death? My gracious. So he said to her, listen, um, you go back, live with your father, and then when he grows up, uh, you can marry Sheila. But he said, I'm afraid. Afraid that he may die like his brother. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Wow. Now, it looks like everything's going to be okay. Notice the next verse. Now, after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah and his friend Hira, the Abdulite. Now, a long time has passed. And Judah's wife dies. Now, she's a Canaanite. She dies. And so he had a morning time, which, you know, the time that he was mourning. And then he, then he decides he's going to go to a party. They're going to go shear the sheep. And by the way, when they had the sheep shears, that was a party. They had worked and everything, and they got out there, and they took care of the sheep. And then that night, they would have a party, and they'd dance and food and drink and everything. That's what they would do. So he says, now that my time of mourning is over, I'll, you know, I might as well get back in the swing of things. That's what he's basically saying. Notice verse 13. It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Now, we don't know anything at this point, but what we realize is she's got a plan. Because you know what she's been saying? She's been saying, I've been looking over there, and that guy, Sheila, he's old enough to get married, and he still hasn't given me his son. It is my, it is my privilege that I'm supposed to marry that son so I can have what? Kids. I can have to have offspring. She doesn't have any offspring. And we told you in this day and time, in this culture, what if a woman didn't have babies, she didn't have offspring, it, it looked like she wasn't blessed. She said, well, I can't help it. Both the guys that I married were evil in the sight of the Lord, and God killed them both. And I want number three. So she says, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to get an offspring one way or the other. So watch what she does. It was told Tamar, behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapped herself up, sat in the gateway of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila had grown up and had not been given to him, and had, she had not been given to him as a wife. So she's got this plan. She decides that she takes off the widow's garments. How long has she worn these widow's garments? I mean, we could be. Let's say that uh, she may have been wearing them 10 or 12 years. She probably says, I think these things are about worn out. Right? I think it's time to do something different. So she took off those widow's garments and she covered herself with a veil and she wrapped herself up. She sat in the gateway of this place, which is on the road to Timnah, the little town. And she saw that, because she, she said, Sheila hadn't been given to me. Now, what is she doing sitting on the side of the road with her face covered with a veil? What's she doing? She's basically sitting out there like a prostitute. Because, see, in that Canaanite culture, they had things called 
temple prostitutes are, are some other words sometimes were used. Uh, a temple prostitute, you know, that, that had something to do with their false religions. Just like the Corinthians. I mean, if you went to Corinth, you didn't have any trouble getting young guys to worship. They had temple prostitutes. What's the Parthenon? Anybody know? The Greek word Parthenos is the word for virgin. The Parthenon was the virgins, but the virgins weren't virgins, if you know what I mean. Right? That was the place of worship. You go to the Parthenon, where the virgins are, but they weren't virgins. So here she is. She's sitting out by the side of the road. She looks like a prostitute. She says, I've got a plan. When Judas saw her, he thought she was a harlot. For she had covered her face. He thought she was one of the temple prostitutes. Part of their pagan worship sexual relationship. He didn't know it was his daughter-in-law because she covered her face. Sort of the Gomer Powell. Surprise, surprise when the, you know, the veil comes off. We heard that before. He turned aside to her and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that it was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? Now, we're seeing it plain and flat. He says, I'd like to, let me have sex with you. And she says, well, if you have sex with me, what will you give me? What, what's, what are you going to pay me to have sex? How do I make a living? I'm a prostitute. That's how I make a living. So here's what he tells her. He said, okay, uh, here's what I'll do. He said, therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. Okay, that's that's a good pay. That's pretty expensive. She can use that. She said, moreover, will you give a pledge until you send it? Now, she's saying this way. And listen, she's a smart woman. She said, okay, you're going to promise me a goat, but you know, what if you don't, basically, what if you leave and you don't ever send the goat? Say, so, will you give me a pledge? Meaning, you're going to give me something to hold until you bring the goat back to me. She has thought about this plan. I want you to understand that. This is not spur of the moment. She has got this planned out. He said, I'll send you a goat from the flock. She said, more will you send a pledge until, uh, will you give a pledge until you send it? And so uh, he said this. Okay, a pledge. Okay. By the way, a pledge. There, yeah, I've got that written there. Now listen to this. He said, uh, uh, what pledge shall I give to you? And watch. She's thought about this. She says, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her. And went into her, and notice, she conceived by him. You think that's just a lucky break for her? You think she planned that? Do you think she knew she could get pregnant? Now, look at what, look what they promised. First of all, the seal is a ring. It was a stamp. It was like a, a you know, that you had your mark. That everybody had their own thing. It wasn't everybody had crosses like this. You had something that represented you. And so, that was your signal. That was, you know, you, you mashed that. And then this cord was a rope, usually hung around re, uh, people's necks. Sometimes they were belt style, but it was like a, a rope. And then the staff, his walking stick. Most of the men had walking sticks. So, she says, I want your ring. I want your, your uh, little rope, and I want your staff as a down payment until you give me the goat. That seemed like a lot to me. Notice she gets that before he comes into her. Your seal, your cord, and your staff. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by 
him. This is what she's wanted all this time. She wants a baby, doesn't she? Listen, you know what she says? I don't care whether it's a son or a daddy. I don't care. Because I want my offspring. Because that's what's due to me. That's the way she thinks. What do you think he thinks? Well, this is no big deal. This is she's just a prostitute. We'd say, wait a minute, Judah, Judah, are you you just going into some woman? You don't even know who she is. You think she's a temple prostitute? You're going to go into this woman? You're going to give her your stuff? She says, this is my plan to get my child. He says, this is my plan to satisfy myself. It's not going to hurt me. It is so easy to rationalize our sin. You know, we say things like, everybody else does it. Well, we actually love each other, so it's okay. Well, this is not really hurting anybody. I can do what I want to do. I deserve this. When was the last time we heard that? And then what Tiger Woods said, he said, I thought I what? I deserve this. People say, I can do what I want to do. I can do what I want to do. No, you can't. Everybody else does it, so what? So if the whole world does it, does it make it right? She says, I'm supposed to have a child. He didn't give me the son. I'm going to have the child from him. It's never right to do wrong. You know, I called a guy the other day because he bought some of our 412 stuff. By the way, that's all copyrighted, you know. So he, he put a note that he wanted to talk to me. So I called him and he said, yeah, we're making a bunch of copies of these. And I said, you can't make copies of those. He said, well, I know it's copyrighted, but I didn't think you'd care. I said, it's copyrighted for a reason. I said, I mean, this is a church. This is other, this is not just somebody. Do we know what's right or wrong? Do we copy, do we have copyrighted material? Do we make copies and give it out? You can't do that. We, we play songs and every one of them have that LL whatever number on it that Stephen, and we keep a record of it and we send it in so that people can get royalties. I know some churches don't do that. They don't care. They say everybody sings these songs. The person who wrote the songs deserves the royalties for the songs. You either do what's right or you don't. So here she says, I'm doing it this way. And he says, I'm doing it this way. Look what happens. Verse 19. Then she arose and departed, removed her veil, put on her widow's and put on her widow's garment. She went back home and looked like herself again. This is where we're going to stop. But I want to just give you the, the, the quick view We'll see it next time. He comes back and he says, I got to get a goat. And he tells his friend, will you take that goat up there for me and give it to that prostitute? And he says, yeah, I'll take it up there. So he gets up there and she's not there, of course. And the guy says, hey, uh, y'all, anybody know where that prostitute was that was right there? And they said, there ain't been any prostitute around here. He went, really? So he brings back the goat and says, I couldn't find her. And they said there hadn't even been one up there. He said, well, there was one up there. And he said, boy, I look like a fool. I look like a real fool. So let's just forget it. Maybe nothing will ever come out of it. Three months later, Tamar, that people get word to him and say, do you know that Tamar's pregnant? Tamar's pregnant. Bring that woman out and what are we going to do to her? We're going to burn her to death. And she sent word and said, oh, by the way, before you burn me to death, I'm pregnant by the man that these three things belong to. The seal, the rope, and the walking stick. 
We'll see what Judah does when he gets those three items in the mail. You know. <laughs> Whoa, it's powerful. We've seen the depravity of man and Judah. And listen, let me tell you. If the nation of Israel had stayed in the land of the Canaanites, that's what they'd become. And God knows it. And so he says, I'm going to get them out of there. I'm going to take them down to Egypt. Now, that wasn't something that God said, you know, I've been thinking about this thing. I better not leave them there. Because you remember way back, God told Abraham that his descendants would be slaves in a land for over 400 years and they would come out of that land with riches. That land is Egypt. This is God's overall plan working all things according to the counsel of his will. Let me give you some applications. We'll open up for questions. First of all, understand the true nature of man and our only hope. Let's think about it. What, what's our nature? It's fallen. We're sinful. There's none righteous, no, not one. All that. We like sheep have gone astray. We look at Judah, a self-righteous man. He's wanting to burn up Tamar because she's had sex. What did he do? He's the one that had sex with her. Didn't even know it. Ur and Onan, God took their lives. Tamar violated the word of God to get a child. S. Lewis Johnson said this, From this passage we see the nature of the depravity of man and the depths of sin to which man may fall. Jeremiah said the heart is wicked and sinful. If we think we're good, we're only fooling ourselves. We realize we are unable to save ourselves. I think the next slide. There's no hope in ourselves and our only hope is Jesus Christ. That's it. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ. Every one of this room, if you said, you are on your own to get to God, you can just say, well, you can kill me right now, because there's not a chance in this world that I'm going to ever do anything that could measure up and earn my salvation. My only hope is Jesus Christ, and that is through Christ, the gift of God, which is eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, this by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's why Jesus is called the Savior, because He's the Savior. Take a look at ourselves. I always, you know, and I, and I know most everybody in this room, so I'm not saying this, but you know, one of the things I would say, if, especially if it was a group of people I didn't know, is I would say, are you trying to get to God through your works, or are you trying to get to God through Jesus Christ? There's only one way to get to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. Second is this. God is working in all the events of our lives. Boy, that is a powerful truth. Tamar's offspring, they're going to have twins. Offspring will be the children through which the king and the Messiah comes. You understand that the, the children that ultimately the, that where the Messiah comes is coming from this union right here. We go, really? Really. Luther said God's, way, God's ways are his ways. He will do what he intends to do. We should humble ourselves before Him and live for Him. We should glorify Him as our Creator and as our Savior. God can take even our sinfulness and use it for His glory and His plan. May we thank God, our great God, 
and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we trust Him in the events of life. Well, let's pray, and if you if you got questions, comments, we'll do it. Heavenly Father, what a passage. What Just so much here. Lord, we just thank You for Your Word. And first of all, Lord, we understand that we're fallen, that with, there's nothing in ourselves that could ever gain or earn salvation. Thank You that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him, and it's by grace we're saved through faith, and it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to Your mercy that You save us, and You give to us eternal life, and we shall never perish, and it's all based on faith. Thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, thank you that we understand who we are and who you are and that there's nothing in ourselves could save us except Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you're working in all events of our lives, even our sinfulness. And Lord, we know that doesn't mean we should sin, but we realize that you take everything and you are such a great God that you can work everything together for good and you will work it all out to fulfill your purpose and your plans for your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you're a great God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything about the passage you want to talk about? Not a very easy passage to teach. It's not a very fun passage. Yes. Yeah, Bill. Uh, the Mosaic law had not been given. Yeah, it's. I think the. Yeah, it was more cultural and more tradition in the families because the Jewish people knew that you have to carry on the names of the families, even even at this time. Because we're actually, when you think about Jewish people, all you got really is twelve sons. And one daughter and, and whoever their offsprings are. So to keep the family going the way they thought about it, they would say Leverett Law. So Leverett Law, I think, as far as the idea of going into the brother, I mean, going into the thing, was preceded Mosaic Law and the specifics there. So you're exactly right. Because you've got, they go into the thing and they come out with Moses, then they get the Mosaic Law, which were all those commandments. So you're right. Deuteronomy is where you actually find Leverett Law spelled out. But I think this is, Something that precedes it. But that's a great point. Great point. There, there's a lot of cultural things that are a lot of things that they did before the law, which were actually in the law, too. So you're right. Yes? Was, was the uh, Levert law, um, was it broken when any child was born or a son? You know, I don't know. I'm thinking the son... Because in most of the families, the son is where the name is carried on and not through the daughter. So it, I, I'd have to look that up. I really don't know. It's a great question. Look it up. See what you can, no, we'll, we'll see if we can find it. But that, that's a, do some research on that. That's a great question. I, I would be, if I was guessing, I'd say it had to be the son because that's where the name is carried on. In fact, let me look at this passage. What does it say? Um, no, it just says here, just raise up offspring for your brother. But the, we know that from the, the the view there was that the the son is the name that's going to be named after his father and carried on. So I'd guess son, but it could be it could be something else. Hazel, yeah, best we can tell, she was. You know that uh, from the lineage of Jesus, you not only have Tamar, a Canaanite. You have Ruth the Moabitess as well. Rahab the harlot, which was, Rahab was from where? She's from Jericho. Is she a Canaanite too? Why do you think, why do you think God lists them and puts all that there? 
Exactly, and that that the lineage of Jesus Christ, he's not, it's not just Jewish in the sense that he's supposed to be the Jew and he's the king of the Jews, and yet you have all this other people connected in there to show that that Jesus and the Savior is the Savior of the world and not just the Savior of Jewish people. Anthony, what did you find? Anything? Deuteronomy 25? Okay, so the, under the Leveret Law, at least we know by Deuteronomy 25, under the Leveret Law, it had to be a what? A son? It had to be a son. Now, this was before law, so we have no idea, but that's why it makes sense that if he's going to be basically carry on the name of his father, it almost had to be a son. But thanks, Anthony, for looking up Deuteronomy 25 there. Most likely in that culture, the woman was under the authority of her father or under the authority of her husband. And that's why we see even in the New Testament about the widows that they went back with their families. And felt, what happened here? What did he tell, what did, what did he tell her to do? He told her to move back to her father. Yeah. When he could have just as easily have taken care of her. He didn't want anything to do with her. He found out he had something to do with her, though. Huh? I think he. I think she was bad luck for him too. What do y'all think? <laughs> she wasn't good luck for any of the, the that little family, but it was their fault too. Every one of the problems was theirs. Okay. Anything else? I know we went over time. Heavenly Father, what a great night! Thanks again for just letting us be together. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.